Today, I want you to turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Today's message will be sort of an extension of last Sunday's message. As my thoughts during these days are centering on once again analyzing what is happening, what has happened, what is happening, and what I believe, according to the scripture, is about to happen. It is extremely important that we understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And that we must understand what we talked about last week, the kingdom gospel. The word we put in front of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the kingdom gospel. It is for his kingdom. If we're believers, we're a part of the kingdom of God. And we sing a song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the kingdom and the fellowship of God. But it is still not clear to most of those that gather, and I'll try to show you in the message today, that so many are still just stumbling around, not knowing why do we even have a church? What is a church? What is it supposed to be doing? What is its given assignment from the Heavenly Father who calls His church the bride of Christ. We are so tempted to, to do our own thing, to be individualist. Sometimes we run from something because uh, it, there's so many that are doing it, even if it's right. But we need to stop and be reminded of what God's Word teaches. So I want to, first of all, read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For those of you that may be new believers, one of the churches that the Apostle Paul started was in Corinth. He wrote two of his books to this church. He's writing his own church. When he writes in the third chapter here, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you're yet carnal, for with, as there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Now listen to the key verse. For while one saith, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Here we see one of the early divisions of the church. The church began to move along and then people couldn't get along so they started splitting Be began to go this one go this way that one to go that way and things began to just explode and during those days scripture after scripture began to be written all the way to the gospels to the end of the revelation the scripture was making it clear church you've got a problem Church family, you got a problem. My children, the Lord is saying, you've got a problem. You need to let me speak to the problem. Let me read to you from the book of Matthew. Let's go all the way back to the first book in the New Testament, 12th chapter, verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said unto them, now listen to what he said. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself 
shall not stand. Did you hear the message? As we live in a divided country, as we listen day after day after day to the divisions that we have, and where we see our churches dividing, and then church groups dividing, and we begin to see that the prediction back in the book of Matthew continues till this very day. So when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, Matthew, already there, the kingdom, as I've just read to you, he is making an appeal, and his appeal is for unity, to get back to the narrow way. The Bible says straight and narrow. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Everybody goes therein, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So we struggle with one another in so many areas of our life. And it has, there's things that I'm not going to get off on today. I'm going to stick with the church. Okay, now listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brothers, by them which are of the house of Shiloh, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Paulus, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Who are we baptized in? Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not the Baptists, the Methodists, and the Presbyterians. It has to do with our walk with God. Salvation is a new birth. A new family is being born. And as that family is being born, we have to deal with the problems that come up, oftentimes, even in our families. So I want to give you some questions. Question number one, what is the difference between the divisions of Paul's day and the divisions of 2018 in what's known as the Christian church. What are the differences? Here he lays out 2,000 plus years ago, this is what's going on. Everybody's dividing up. Everybody's getting into their own opinion. So what say you? That's what the scripture wants us to know and to deal with. You know, you could divide them and say, well, group number one, we could put I know for those that, uh, that have never studied it, they think John the Baptist started the first Baptist church. Let me just assure you, you need to go to a Bible study class on that one. But there was a John Smith in 1570. Now, group two, I'll mention the name Martin Luther. Some of you might say, I've heard of Lutherans. I'll mention to you a name John Calvin. Some of you would say Presbyterians. Others of you say John Wesley. Well, you're the Methodist. Notice how many Johns there are there. 
But you don't follow John. You follow Jesus. And when you find out how Satan can take what was not meant to be, it becomes a reality. There are divisions among you. I know a lot of people that'll go and they'll be trying to witness and they don't really know how to witness and they might be a little bit awkward about it. And so they'll say something about, are you a Christian? They say, and this person might be a Baptist, and they say, well, I'm a Methodist. And the Baptist says, well, I'll pray for you. <laughs> that one day you'll come to the light. Or you might walk away and say, I thought they were saved, but they're not. They're Presbyterian. <laughs> I mean, you know, we laugh to keep from crying, though, don't we? I mean, because we feel like that if you're not of Paul or Apollos or whatever, John, Martin, Luther, or whoever, then you got a problem. Well, let's try to look at that this morning. Because there's another question. Whatever you call yourself, are you yet carnal? Yes, there's carnal Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Assembly of God, Church of Christ, Catholics, and on and on. My question to me and to you is, are we not also carnal? What is the problem? What's the problem? The problem is that somehow, someway, Christians have forgotten that we're a part of the family of God. If we have met the conditions of the Scripture that are not connected to any one denomination as we divide ourselves, but committed to the simple gospel. For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The church, the denomination, does not control salvation, but the blood of Jesus does. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Anyone that believes you can join any church of any denomination and thereby become a Christian has missed the gospel 180 degrees. The oneness that comes is among the believers. There are believers in this world that have not even put a label to it because they've never heard of some of these labels. But I tell you what they would tell you. Once I was lost, now I'm found. Once I was headed for hell, now I'm headed for heaven. Once I was in tribulation and trouble, but now I'm free. Thanks to Calvary, the blood of Jesus and praise God for the open tomb. Jesus Christ is alive. And he is the one that puts us in together into the body of Christ. Now we are unique. Denominations take on uniqueness. Some of them are good. Some of them not so good. But that's not the main thing. The thing that brings us together is the grace of God through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now my point at this part of the message is we have to figure out how do you keep the main thing the main thing. How can you deal with the reality of our generation if you don't understand Christians, you got a problem. People do not understand you. 
I was speaking to a room full of preachers this past week, and one of the preachers asked me, why did you take Baptist out of your name? He shouldn't have asked that. If you don't like Chinese food, and I had a sign in front of my restaurant that said best Chinese food in Houston. If you've tried Chinese food and you hate it, you won't go in the door. But if I put a sign that says best food in Houston, you'll try it once. Try Jesus one time. And you'll be satisfied. The denomination isn't going to satisfy you. The preacher isn't going to satisfy you. But Jesus will satisfy Don't try to get to Jesus through doors that that don't lead you to Jesus. The church door doesn't lead you to Jesus. It leads you to the place where Jesus can be lifted up. There's many churches that don't preach Jesus that claim to be Christian churches. Let me just give you some facts. Facts number one is lost people need to be saved. You agree with that? Lost people need to be saved. Sick people, we want them to be made well either in this life or in heaven. The hungry need to be fed. The hopeless need to find hope. The helpless need to receive help. But the door is Jesus Christ. He provides every need. When we get to Jesus and we commit ourselves to Jesus and we become a body of one, of believers that are following Jesus, then we can take up our cross and follow him. Ephesians 6, 18. Paul is writing to another church in Ephesus. And here's what he says in the 18th verse of Ephesians 6. Praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit. Now listen to this. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. God wants to bless his kids. God wants to bless his children. Those of us that have been washed in the blood are referred to as the saints, those that walk with God, but God says, follow me. And I want to go to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians and listen to this. In verse 20, but now are they many members but yet one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. But God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's a church. That's a family. That's a body. If your body is built to where your arms can bend but your mouth doesn't open, you can starve yourself to death. Something tells the mouth to open when your hand starts that way. Why? Because it takes different members of the body. 
And so as we look at the church and he puts this analogy together, we have to ask ourselves some real difficult questions. These questions evolve around what's happened in our own country in the last two or three hundred years. Something has happened because light in many ways has become darkness. And revivals that broke out in the 1700s and the 1800s died in the 1900s. Why? Why? What happened? Why is it today that we are so divided when God came and blessed our nation like no nation has ever been blessed and for some reason we have chosen to walk away from the God of our fathers and we're paying a great price for it. You remember the pilgrims? You remember the Puritans? 1600, the fire was burning. But by the 1700s, it began to cool off. The buildings grew, but the people began to vanish off the scene. The church was built at every corner. If you go to any town you want to go to, if you go to the First Methodist, First Baptist, First Presbyterian, they were the first ones to get there. If they're second, whatever, they were the second ones. If they were the third one to get there, they were the third one. They usually stop right there. And then they start Calvary, Emmanuel, some other name. And before it's over with, they just sort of throw something against the wall, I think. It just kind of bounces off or they take Webster Dictionary and flip through it and say, okay, we're the help, the hope, the soon coming, the whatever. But something has happened because I get brochures all the time of church buildings that are for sale all over the state of Texas. 900 closed last year. What happened? Exactly what we're talking about. We must get together with the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ and focus our ministries on that one thing to be what a church is supposed to be there's a lot of good things we can do and we can do the good things if we do the best things but people have to be born again before they can live a Christian life they've got to be born again before they can get into the will of God but we're living in a day where the gospel is being pushed out of the church socialism is being brought into the church and people are wondering why we're not seeing the people baptized we used to and I'm telling you why. He must have preeminence. We gather around Jesus and nothing else. If we don't do that, it doesn't matter what we do, we too will perish. In the 1730s, Jonathan Edwards was smart enough and bold enough that he preached a sermon because he saw the nation falling apart then spiritually. The title of the sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
Some of you that are older remember very well reading that sermon. It's still in print. You can still get it. And in New England, hundreds repented of their sin. And in New England, they flooded to the altar. And all of a sudden, that area of America began to just blossom with the glory of God. But then, there was a falling away. These people had repented. The floodgates were open. People got saved. Revival came to cities and communities. They did not leave it to the government alone, but the church became what God wanted it to become. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will not withhold good things from you, but you must come to me. George Whitfield preached, and 20,000 people were saved. Now, he was pre-Billy Graham. But back in those days, as he would preach, people would just flock. The sound systems weren't that good. The stadiums weren't that big. But he was anointed with God. And as he began to preach, people began to come to Christ. And then the Great Awakening followed. All through our colonies in America, there began in the 1800s this movement. And God was at work. And as God was at work, people began to be saved, born again, changed. The country took on a new excitement, but yet the devil was still at work. Today, churches will do anything in the world to get people to come and just be there. All you have to do is just read the religious sections of any of the newspapers in America. Read the billboards, read the TV ads. Just come, just come, just come, just come. Well, when the people come, what do they get? If they don't get Jesus, if they don't get the gospel, we've missed the purpose for which this church was established. If they do not hear about this, we've missed it. If they turn in the direction of the way the culture goes, the culture has always gone the wrong way from day one. But when God's people began to move and things began to happen and people began to get saved, all day, all evening, whatever time, day, night, weekdays, not just Sundays, but any day, Ben Franklin was so impressed with George Whitfield and his preaching that later on in the 1800s in his newspaper, he focused on denominational affiliations. So from the 1700s, now we're into the 1800s, and Whitfield's sermons are still being preached. And Ben Franklin put them in his newspaper. Well, we had another revival. The front runners were the Baptists. Yay, Baptists. Second place for the Methodists, yay Methodists. Third place for the Presbyterians, yay Presbyterians. The rest of them, I guess, they also ran. But anyway, God did it again. You know what? He'll always do it. 
If a church ever comes back one last time to lift him up, we'll see the greatest in gathering in the history of the earth. But we better be careful. Because the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes you don't know you have termites until your house falls down. Sometimes you don't realize it. You just sit back and say everybody's doing it. And so I want to go do what everybody else is doing. You don't want to go to church where a lot of people attend. You want to go to church where a lot of people are serving the Lord. You want to go to church where people are being saved. You want to go to church that reaches out to the poor and the helpless and the hurting and prays for the government and prays for the community and wants to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. That's what you want. You don't want a cultural event. You want the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most embarrassing conflict of all of this was a civil war when our churches divided over the way God made people. It's one of the darkest days of history. Our churches were segregated. Our businesses were segregated. Our communities were segregated. God never intended that to happen. And if the church would have been the church, it wouldn't have happened. But we just keep going the way of the culture. But it's the way of the cross that leads home. And narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there are that find it. Bringing people to Jesus was the way the church began. People would go out into the community, out into the city, out into the country. They would win one by one and bring them to Jesus Christ. Amen. The first day Sagemont Church opened, and I gave the invitation. There were 16 people that started this church. And I gave the invitation that first Sunday morning, and 51 people of that little chapel over there, walked the aisle. Amen. One of them gave their heart to Jesus that morning. There's been 17,000 that's followed that one person. And that day, 51 of this community came. If we see 10 or 12 every week now, we're happy. With 20,000 members plus. We'll say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying it's time to get back to make the main thing the main thing. We're here to bring this community to Jesus, not to be another event in town. All of us must think clearly. Are we living proof of a loving God to a watching world and people know us? Do they really want to come to Jesus? Listen to what Paul said to the church in Philippi in Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, how can the kingdom benefit everybody? How can it benefit everybody? I guess I could sing you a song right now, but most of you would pray that I don't. But I will give you the title of the song. How many of you remember songs that give me that old-time religion? Yeah, you remember that one? Raise your hand. 
not eight or ten of you. Look here, hundreds, all right. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Remember that next verse? Makes the Baptist love the Methodist. Makes the Baptist love the Methodist. Makes the Baptist. Somebody's saying, oh, you're kidding. You're making that up. Trust me. Ask Siri. <laughs> and you know what? We did. I've seen my daddy stand with Brother McGoy at First Baptist Methodist many, many times on a platform, put their arm around each other. Father O'Connell at the Catholic Church. and all. Hey, they weren't agreeing on doctrine, but they were loving each other. And they were wanting to see our area be living proof that there's a God that's alive and that he lives right where our town is. So I want you to think for me in these closing moments. I'm going to give you some homework. Because I'm going to ask you in a minute to take the card that's right in front of you and write the name of three people that you know that don't know the Lord. You don't have to put your name on the other side. Three people. And you'll pray for them. Three of your friends that don't know the Lord, and you will pray for them. Now, what would happen if everybody would do that in all of our churches? Each of us three, praying, 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 praying without ceasing. And what God could do if that were to happen. So, let's go looking for them. You say, I think everybody I run with is saved. They're not. You say, well, I go to the seminary. That doesn't make it either. Well, I'm a Baptist. That don't make it either. They're all Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran. That don't make it. But Jesus makes it. He makes it real. He makes it come alive. And then we can start praying along with that for at least three church members that are going through a valley. Last week you responded so well. I have the stack of cards on my desk right now of people that need our prayers. But we need to talk to the Lord and call their name. He knows their name. Now we know their name. Let's take it to the Lord and leave it there. And if we're going to become effective, we're going to have to smile. I wonder what would happen on television today in all the churches, and we're one of them. You go on television if they move that camera around. I try to look at you. I can see some of you are asleep. <laughs> I've seen two or three of you look mad when you came in here, so I know I didn't make you mad. <laughs> but what if the joy of the Lord was our strength? What if we looked like I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. I just wished all my kinfolks were here, all my neighbors were here. I just wished everybody I work with is here, everybody I go to school with. I just love it. I just love it. Well, you know, smiles have a way of drawing people. I've noticed even the Astros, when they start losing, people start walking out of the stadium. And that's same true with your favorite school. But what about revival coming one more time before Jesus comes again? There's an old song years ago, put on a happy face. That's what we need to do. Put on a happy face. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, If you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? 
do not even the publicans so. Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. We've all got a long way to go. We all have to carry out our assignment. The perfect greeting is in Matthew 5, 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. A lot of studies been made on this. A happy smile helps you physically be more healthy. Many surveys, many tests. So put on a happy face. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And let's smile. The book of Proverbs chapter 17 verse 22 says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. A merry heart. Christian brothers and sisters, when's the last time you really got excited about Jesus? When's the last time that you woke up in the morning and first of all, you were glad to be alive and by the time you had your second cup of coffee, you know, I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. I'm so glad that Jesus lives in my life. I know that whatever I go through today, I'm not going to have to go through it by myself. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm excited. Jesus might come today. It helps your mind. It helps your emotions. But too many of us want to be accepted. We don't want to be rejected. What we want is for him to say, well done. We're called to be the light of the world in Matthew 5, 14. If the light is in us, then Jesus is in us. That's what brings people together. Where you're riding on an airplane... Shopping in the grocery store, sitting in the barbershop or the beauty shop, in the restaurant, maybe saying a prayer for your meal. And for those of you that do that, it's not unusual for people to come over to you and say something about it and say, thank you for praying. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? It's a verbal blessing that we're to give to people. Like when we say, bless you, bless you. We're saying, Lord, bless this one. Allow them to be what you created them to be. In Proverbs 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. And Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So here's your homework. I'm going to ask some to put on our screen here in the auditorium. Let's read them together, okay? My joy in life is to pray for people by name and watch God answer my prayers. I would be honored to pray for you and your family if you simply write out their names. Get, I'm going to try to get some cards made like this. And they'll be available in the back. You take that card with you, let them read it. If they say yes, write their name on the back and pray for them. And pray for them. And let's see if we can't have more than three people tell us, you know, pray for my salvation. If it takes you three months to get three names, stay at it. But let's do something. One more time. Read it out loud with me. 
My joy in life is to pray for people by name and watch God answer my prayers. I would be honored to pray for you and your family if you simply write out their names. You're saying to the person, you have anybody in your family, you or anybody in your family that I can pray for, write their name down here and put it in your Bible and take it with you. And when you come to your prayer time, pray for that person by name. You say, I don't have an idea who they are. He knows their name. He knows their need. And you may not find out till you get to heaven that they're in heaven because one day you prayed for them by name. You can tell God he's better than FedEx. He's, he's better than put it in the United States mail. Take it there. Leave it there. And pray. And pray. And that's what brings us together. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son. And in the name of the Holy Spirit. I pray. Dear God. There's such a need in Houston. In Southeast Houston, in the Sagemont area of Southeast Houston, and all the surrounding communities here. But Father, as the arms of this church reach many miles in many directions, there's not a direction that we'll go home today that there's not people on our street that need Jesus. We won't go to work tomorrow that there's not some that we'll meet that need Jesus. They need you, Lord. And we want to be a part of bringing your body to one family. We want to just be like you, not like anybody else. We want to use our denominational titles to be positive, not negative. We want to use our mission boards to reach the world, not those that are just like us. And I pray, God, that you'll just wipe out financial status, birth heritage, geographical location, financial prosperity, all of that. Lord, may it disappear. And may we just take our burdens to you and leave them there. And take our name to you. And wherever that person that we pray for is, that you would send an angel to convict them. They may be in a church service even right now or later today. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.